You could drag a classic game kicking and screaming into the 3D realm, but does that make it any more fun? It's clobbering time in this week's game, Archon Ultra. Welcome to episode three of Like a DOS, the podcast on which I play, discuss, and review MS-DOS games released for the IBM PC and compatibles. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode of Like a DOS, I'll be playing Archon Ultra. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone about my Patreon page. If you'd like to find out more about supporting Like a DOS, along with all my other podcasts, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly Rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. I know $4 a month may not seem like it would make a difference, but it all adds up and really helps small independent shows like this one with podcast-related costs. So again, that URL is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodork. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. The year was 1994, and PCs, thanks to VGA and Sound Blasters, had won the home computer battle. Along with all the new titles that were being released, we began to see graphically updated versions of older games designed to run and take advantage of these new, more powerful PCs. One of those games was Archon Ultra. Chess games have existed for decades on computers, and over time, they just got better and better. Some improved on the game's graphics, while others put all their processing power into the computer's AI game-playing skills. But Archon isn't really a chess game. In Archon, when the pieces land on the same square, players take control of those pieces and have to perform combat to determine who stays and who is vanquished from existence. Archon Ultra was originally published for MS-DOS in 1994 by Strategic Simulations Incorporated, better known as SSI. It is a game for one or two players that uses keyboard, mouse, or joystick controls. SSI was the publisher of this game. A lot of people associate Archon with Electronic Arts, and that is who uh, originally published the game back on 8-bit computers in the 1980s. SSI was the brainchild of Joel Billings, who created the company after Avalon Hill was not interested in publishing his first computer war game. The company went head-to-head against Avalon Hill and became known as the publisher for strategy games and war simulations 
operations on computers. In the 1980s, SSI procured the license to TSR's Gold Box D&D games, uh, which was a huge win for them. But unfortunately, years later, they lost the license uh, to Interplay, and that was also their primary cash cow. SSI's last published game was in 2002. Now, if you were into strategy games, war games, or even D&D computer games in the 1980s, you have definitely seen the SSI logo on your computer screen. Uh, they did uh, Steel Panthers, Road War 2000, Warhammer, all of the fantasy games, that's P-H-A-N-T-A-S-I-E, fantasy games, uh, Panzer General, there were just so many classic SSI strategy and war games available. Uh, I feel like if you ever played a computer game that was named after an actual World War II battle, chances are it was published by SSI. Now, Archon Ultra was developed by Freefall Associates, and Freefall Associates is who developed the original Archon games a decade earlier. Uh, Freefall gets its name from two of its founders, which is John Freeman and Anne Westfall. Uh, one of those two, Anne was a former employee of Epics, and John Freeman was a founding member of Epics. Actually, John Freeman founded Automated Simulations, which eventually became Epics. Now, through their early experience with game development and publishing, Freefall Associates uh, decided very early that they only wanted to develop games. They were not interested in publishing games. They only wanted to create games. And so they developed multiple games, including uh, Tax Dodge was their first uh, officially published game, followed by Murder on the Zinderloof. I don't know if I'm saying that right. There were a few uh, uh, other titles, but then uh, Archon was their biggest title, followed by Archon 2. Uh, those games were all published by Electronic Arts. And in fact, Freefall Associates was the first company to sign a publishing deal with Electronic Arts. If you look on Moby Games, Freefall Associates only published six games. <laughs> And I think I've mentioned them all. Uh, Tax Dodge, Murder on the Zindernoof, Swords of Twilight, which was a later game. The other three have Archon in the title. Archon, Archon 2, Adept, and Archon Ultra. One thing I always liked about Freefall was their logo, which were the words free and fall, and they fell. <laughs> they literally did a free fall down the screen until it said a free fall uh, production. It reminds me of all those things we see today, like with the FedEx logo, with the arrow hidden in the middle of the FedEx logo. I, I really liked how uh, the, the words free fall actually free fell. It was, it was a nice touch. <laughs> Archon Ultra is a game of both strategy and action. Uh, the objective is to win the game, and there are two ways to do that. The first is by defeating all of your opponent's pieces. The other is by taking possession of the five power points that exist on the board. Unlike chess, 
in Archon, when one piece lands on a piece that's occupied by one of your opponent's pieces, you don't automatically take possession of that square. You have to fight for it. And this is when the game turns into an action game and players control the pieces and must fight to take possession of that piece. The winner stays and the loser goes mm, somewhere. Each piece has unique attacks, and in this version, they have multiple attacks, and some pieces even have defensive moves. This game is an updated remake of the original, which was released in the early to mid-1980s for most 8-bit computer systems and some consoles, including the Nintendo. Now, Archon was released by Freefall in 1984 on the Apple II, the Commodore 64, the Atari 8-bit computers, and many other machines. Again, thanks to the publishing deal they made with Electronic Arts, Archon became huge, and it led to a quick sequel, Archon 2 Adept, which appeared on both 8-bit computers like the Atari, the Commodore 64, and the Apple II, but also on some 16-bit computers, including the Amiga and the Amstrad CPC. Uh, Archon Ultra is an updated version of the original. It runs in DOS. It has VGA graphics and Sound Blaster sound and everything that you expected to have from a uh, a high-resolution DOS game in the mid-1990s. According to the box, Archon depicts the eternal struggle between light and darkness as a contest of action and strategy between opposing forces wrought from myth and legend. Taking a look at the box, we have the title of the game, Archon Ultra. Um, one of the themes that you will see running throughout all of the game's material, the box, the manual, and the graphics in the game is the composition of light and dark, dark and light. Uh, they are always intermingled, and you will see that right off the bat in the title of the game where it says Archon Ultra. Part of it is black letters on a white box. Part of them are white letters on a black box. So right off the bat, you get that contrast of light versus dark. Uh, there is a large drag on the left-hand side of the game box and a phoenix on the right-hand side of the box. And you can see that, again, they are just opposed. They are in an identical state, and you could tell that those two pieces are probably the same, but one is a dark piece and one is a light piece. Um, the bottom of the box says SSI and, of course, says developed by Freefall Associates. Now, Moby Games has several different versions of the title, which I, th or of the, the cover box art, which I thought was really interesting. The German version has, uh, the Phoenix on, I believe, the right and the dragon on the left, but the United States version has the Phoenix on the left. And I thought it was interesting that the U.S. version would have the good guys on the left and the bad guys on the right, but the German version would have those two swapped. I don't know why that is. Um, also, the German artwork is very dark. It has a dark background, and the U.S. version has a light sky with, with clouds. So just different versions of the artwork, but I thought that was interesting how they changed those for different markets. Now, the back of the box, as always, has lots of information available. And in big letters at the top, it says Archon Ultra, the best just got better. So right off the bat, you can see they are advertising this to people who remember the original game. And this is being marketed as an upgrade of the original. 
the second subheading, and this is in all capitals and bold letters, says now one of the greatest games ever is playable by modem. And playable by modem is also in italics and it is also underlined. So this was a big marketing point of this game was that for the first time you could play Archon against an opponent who was somewhere else. You could connect uh, two versions of this game with a modem and play. Uh, there are uh, three screenshots on the back of the game. One is of the board itself, and two are of battles in, in progress. One is on a dark square, which has a dark uh, black uh, background and lava and things on the ground. And the other one is on a lighter square, which has green grass and water on the ground. So it really shows you that this game has uh, lots of different graphics and uh, different terrains that you'll be playing on. Anyway, there is a, also a, a summary on the back of the game, which I'll read real quick. It says Archon, one of the all time best selling action slash strategy games ever is back as Archon Ultra. This completely updated version treats you to beautiful rendered 256 color VGA graphics, scintillating animation, a superbly orchestrated musical score and digitized sound effects, plus gameplay and features enhancements or feature enhancements, including, and again, this is in italics, the ability to battle opponents online using your modem. Play the light or dark side and seek to conquer the ever-changing Archon board. Take turns moving your fantasy pieces such as the Unicorn, Banshee, Phoenix, Dragon, Basilisk, and Gollum, each now with two powers instead of one. Deploy your forces on the crisply animated three-quarter overhead display. When two opposing pieces attempt to occupy the same square, you can slug it out in real-time arcade action on one of three new types of battle maps, or let the computer resolve combat quickly. Your goal? Defeat all the enemy pieces or dominate the five magical power points on the Archon board. For one or two players, Archon Ultra is faster, more exciting, and even more addicting than its legendary predecessor. So that gives us a lot of information. We both understand how Archon works from that. We can tell that it is a upgraded version of Archon. They have added on by adding more terrain and more battlegrounds. And they've really stressed that concept that you can play with another friend over the modem. Uh, the PC requirements are listed on the side of the box. It says this game is for IBM PCs and compatibles. It requires a hard drive and high-density 1.44 megabyte disk drive. It runs on 386 and 486 100% compatible machines. This game requires 2 megabytes of RAM, and it says 386.25 or greater is recommended. VGA is required, supports modem play, and sound, it says Sound Blaster, Sound Blaster Pro, and native mode Gravis Ultrasound. It also says joystick, mouse, and keyboard supported joystick recommended. Now, joysticks are something I don't think I've talked about on this show yet. At this time, this predates USB. There is no USB at this point, not for the average person. So, joysticks... And before, uh, before USB joysticks normally used a 15 pin adapter and that port was not a standard port 
on IBM PCs. The way that you got that port was through your sound card. So most sound cards had a 15 pin port on the back of them, but they only had one. So very, very few. I, in fact, I don't know anyone. No one I knew had two joysticks on their PC, but a lot of people had one. There was also the Gravis gamepad, which a lot of people had, which was also that same, uh, at least originally that same 15 uh, pin port. I believe that port also worked as a MIDI port before uh, MIDI was also <laughs> handled through USB. So there's a lot of talk about joysticks and playing this game with joysticks and joysticks being recommended, but most people, if they had a joystick at all, they only had one joystick. So most people never played this game uh, with two joysticks. The media that this game came on was two, three and a half inch, 1.4 meg floppy disks. And they have continued that scheme of light on dark, dark on light. Instead of black and white, these are blue and white. But again, we have uh, the label of the first disc. Uh, and then the label of the second disc, and they are opposite. One has white writing on a blue label. One has blue writing on a white label. So uh, that that theme is just consistent throughout the entire package. When we launch the game, we get a quick screen that says SSI Presents, and then we get that classic free fall animated logo. It's essentially the same logo that we saw 10 years earlier on the original Archon. It is uh, free fall and the logo free falls through the screen. But then we are taken to a very impressive title screen. We have the artwork from the front of the box. We have the dragon on one side. We have the Phoenix on the other side. They are facing each other. It looks like they're getting ready for combat. And just as you see this photo, it morphs and it morphs. The Phoenix morphs into the dragon and the dragon morphs into the Phoenix and then they go back. So it shifts one way and shifts the other. And this is really almost on a subliminal level tells you that these pieces are equal. Um, but at no point in Archon is the light side presented as the good side. Now there are certain things that we bring our, um, I suppose our own perceptions, like the knights are good and the goblins are bad, that sort of thing. Um, but in Archon, all of these things are equal. The knights don't get any sort of advantage for being uh, on the light side. It's just all the light pieces are together and all the dark pieces are together. So it, that's really conveyed in this opening title screen in which you know, the Phoenix isn't really presented as a good guy against the dragon being a bad guy. It's two pieces facing off. And when they morph in, into each other and morph back, we really get that concept that they are opposites. They are the yin and yang of each other, polar opposites, uh, but equal. Getting past that title screen, we get to the main menu screen, and there are a lot of options uh, available. This screen, in the background, you can see the board and all the pieces, but you have a large menu that is sitting on top of that that you have to go through and make some selections before the game begins. There is a game board uh, setup menu. There are options for the white and black, like uh, all the left-hand side are all the white piece options. All the, all the ones on the right are for the black side of the board. Uh, one of the choices you will see is for each side, you can select human, 
computer or cyborg. Cyborg is explained in the manual as a combination. So a cyborg being part computer, part human, right? Uh, in the cyborg version, a human moves the pieces on the strategy part of the game. So when you're looking at the chessboard, uh, a human moves the pieces, but then once you go into the battle mode, the computer automatically takes over the battle. So it is a combination that allows you to play the board game part of the game, but not have to do the arcade style actual battle half of the game, which to me is the fun part of the game. I'm not sure why you would want the computer to do the fun part and have you do the hard part, uh, but that option's there. Also for each side, you can select joystick, keyboard, or mouse. Now I ran into an interesting bug while playing this through ExoDOS and playing a modern uh, playing it through DOSBox, and that is that the USB joystick that I have on my computer was only recognized as joystick one. So when I tried to switch the board and play as the dark side, it did not recognize my joystick. So I believe it still thought the joystick was assigned uh, as joystick one. So there's probably a DOSBox setting in there somewhere where I could switch it to a different port. And I'm not really sure what would have happened if I had two USB joysticks plugged in, if, if it would have automatically assigned those um, to the different joystick ports. But um, just by default, I was only able to play as the light side. Uh, other menu options include uh, you could set a difficulty level of helped, normal or hindered. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means shortly. And the final option is start the game. So once the game begins, you will see what looks like a chessboard. Now, if you are an astute observer or a big fan of chess, you will notice that it's not exactly like a chessboard. And first of all, it is a nine by nine grid not an eight by eight grid. So chess is played on a eight by eight board. This is nine by nine. And part of the reason for that is because when you see how the PowerPoints are laid out, uh, there is one exactly in the middle. And if it were an even number of squares, you couldn't have an exact middle. Now, some of the squares on the board you will see are white. Some are a very dark gray. They're almost black. And then there are a lot of shades in between. We'll talk about those shades here in just a second. You'll also see the five PowerPoints. Now, three of them are in the middle row of the board. There's one in the exact middle of the board, and then the other four are in the middle of the outside rows. So it forms like a big plus uh, that lays out across the entire board. And now because of the difference in the number of squares, you'll notice each side has 18 pieces and the front row is mostly consists of what we would associate in chess as being our pawns. There are a couple of pieces on the outside edges. Um, the other thing you'll notice right off the bat is that the characters are animated. They are moving around. You'll see them shuffle. You'll see a few of them blink. They don't all move at the same time. It seems to alternate or cycle through one piece at a time. But if you watch the board, there is an illusion that you are not staring at static pieces, that you are staring at actual uh, living beings that are standing on a board. Now, with the PC mouse... 
you can move the pieces around, but if you hold down the right mouse button, you will get a menu. And there are a few options that are available to you before you get started. There is a game menu, and from there you can load or save your game's progress. Uh, there's a new game option. There is the modem connection, which is grayed out if you're playing on a modern machine that does not have an old school modem. There's also about and quit options. I should say on Exodus, when you launch this game, instead of the modem option, you are uh, given the opportunity to connect over the internet. Now, this would take a little bit of manual configuration because, as we know, with today's uh, cable modems and, and home internet, there's probably going to be some uh, firewall issues you'll have to deal with, some port forwarding and things like that. But it tells you the port that you need to open so you can open that port, forward it to your machine, and you should be able to make a connection pretty easily. So that is the option uh, for modern players that takes place of the old uh, modem option. Also in this menu, we have choices, which includes uh, the board, the pieces, the sound, uh, the music, and ghosting. So you can adjust the way that the board looks. Uh, you can turn sound on and off. You can turn the music on and off. There is an option to make the pieces half size, which the manual says they don't recommend that you play in that mode. But sometimes if you can't see What's going on on the board because a piece is blocking another piece, you can flip that option on. And then the ghosting shows where the pieces can move. Uh, but moving pieces in Archon is much simpler than it is in moving pieces in chess. So you shouldn't really have to turn that on. There's an option on the menu for firing, and you could turn that to simple or standard, and we'll talk about that. And then finally, there is a option for the keyboard in which you can select the default key configuration, or you can swap keys. And there are a couple of different configurations that you can use if you want to or need to play using the keyboard. Now, again, uh, I talked about that cyborg option. It says the manual says cyborg is a split game where you move the pieces where you want, and then the computer does the fighting for you. You can press the button on each individual fight and override the option. So you can play in cyborg mode, but if you decide, uh, you know, you want to take over the action, all you have to do is press the button on your joystick or keyboard, whatever you're playing with. Um, I don't normally, when I talk about this game, I don't talk about playing it with the mouse because that is by far the most difficult way to control uh, the fights in this game would be through a mouse, but that is also an option. But whatever you're using to control the game, you can press the button and cyborg mode immediately stops and you take over in the middle of the fight. Now, the graphics of the board, the board is presented in a three-dimensional isometric view of the board. I know it described that in a strange way on the back of the box. Um, I'm flipping back over to the back of the box here. It refers to it as a crisply animated three-quarter overhead display. Today, we would use the word isometric, but I don't know uh, either that wasn't commonly used when describing games back then, or they felt like people wouldn't understand what that term meant. But that's how you and I would describe it. It's a 3D isometric view of the game board that tilts away from us. There's also the fight screens. Now, the fight screens are much larger than what the monitor displays. So in the original Archon, fights took place on a single screen, but these uh, screens, uh, the fights 
are probably a think of it as a three by three grid and your monitor is showing one of those squares so you could scroll all the way up all the way down left right so you can really run around and, and <laughs> if you're in trouble there's a lot of room <laughs> to run and try to evade attacks on uh one of the, the cool things about the graphics in this game is that when you move on to a square that's occupied by another piece, these VGA graphics pop up on the screen. And I think they're partially to show off these graphics. I think part of it is probably to uh, hide load times where it has to load in the game board and swap all these things in and out of memory. And and they're only on the screen for not very long, five seconds, maybe five to 10 seconds at the tops. Um, but each character has its own VGA artwork and they're displayed on one half of the screen. So if the unicorn is going to fight uh, a Banshee, once you go on that, the square, the screen changes and it says, you know, It'll have the picture of the unicorn on the left, and then it'll say versus, and then it'll have a picture of the goblin on the right. And those graphics are very entertaining. They're very good. They, they're, I believe they're hand-drawn and then digitized. Uh, the There are line versions of the artwork that appear in the manual, so you could tell at some point they were hand-drawn. So I think maybe they were digitized in and then colored on the computer, but they're uh, very whimsical and enjoyable. I really enjoy those little graphic pictures. Um, and then, of course, we move to the fight screens, and again, we have the terrain, we have the dark terrain, we have the light terrain. There are three different terrains that you may end up fighting on. There's, a, of course, a gray one uh, right in the middle. And then we have the characters that appear with the same graphics as they appeared on the board, so they're not scaled down or um, you know any lesser version of those graphics. The way that they appear on the original board is how they appear uh, when they are fighting. This game also includes mod music. It says orchestrated music and all these things on the back. But when you hear the music of the game kick in, you will immediately recognize it as four channel mod music. If you are uh, familiar with the Amiga, or if you were a fan of downloading mods, which a lot of people uh, were in the 1990s, you will recognize this style of music. Uh, it's definitely four channels of music and definitely split stereo-wise. Uh, I enjoy it. I would say for modern gamers, it dates the game to this era using that style of music, but I thought it really added to the game. You will get sick of the song if you play more than two games of Archon Ultra, but uh, but there it is. It also has digital sound effects. And of course, this is a time where you could now all of a sudden put wave files and play wave files on your sound blaster sound card. So everything has a sound. You have sounds when pieces move. You have sounds when different pieces shoot or when attacks hit or miss or when it's time to recharge. All Everything in this game makes a sound. So there's lots of different sounds and they're all uh, of high quality. So let's talk a little bit about those controls. For, if you're playing a one-player game, your controls are E, S, D, and F on the left-hand side of the keyboard, followed by spacebar and B. The alternate setup, which is available in that drop-down menu, switches the controls to the four arrow keys and then insert and delete. The only problem with the second 
especially inserted delete is sometimes in windows, people map things to those keys or it's doing, it's affecting windows while you're hitting these keys in game. Uh, I know that I used to have a, a KVM. And if you hit, uh, I think scroll lock did something. If you hit scroll lock three times in a row, or if you hit insert three times in a row quickly, it would uh, trigger the KVM. And so I could see that control scheme not necessarily working with modern computers, but uh, but the primary one works okay. If you don't have a joystick, you can use E, S, D, and F. And again, space and B are for your two attacks. I'll talk about that in just a moment. You can also use your mouse if you wanted to, or I suppose had to. Um, you control the characters as they move with the mouse, but imagine running around a three by three tiled arena with a small character while a dragon is chasing you, blowing fire at you. A mouse is not the best way to control that situation. So, uh, I, I guess if you didn't have a joystick and I would say this is back in the day, if you didn't own a joystick and you wanted to play two players and one guy hated keyboards, that's the only scenario I can imagine somebody using the mouse. So it is there. Uh, it's not my recommended way of playing this game. And then uh, the third one was the joystick. And again, I mentioned, you know, in the 1990s, it was pretty uncommon for people to have two joysticks hooked up to the same computer. Um, but if you're playing this by yourself, you can play using the joystick. If you're playing with a friend over the modem, you can play using a joystick. And if you're playing two players, I guess you flip a coin or whoever's computer it is gets the joystick. <laughs> the other guy gets the keyboard. Uh, so I have made reference to there being two firing buttons. For those familiar with the original Archon, you will uh, remember that each character only had one attack. In this game, every character, I can't say every character has two attacks, but they have two actions. So for some characters, they do have two attacks. They have something they can, for the um, Phoenix, for example, when it attacks, it does a dive bomb and turns into a ball of fire. So that's its first attack. But the other is a quill from its tail that it shoots and becomes like a homing missile that will eventually find and uh, attack its opponent. So, that is an example of a character that has two attacks. The uh, G well, it used to be the genie on the original game. They have renamed it to Dijin. Uh, that character has one attack that shoots missiles from far away, but the other attack, he just turns into a little tiny genie and he uh, flies around the screen very quickly. So if you need to escape from someone or, or do something like that, uh, that is what the second button does. So they're not all offensive attacks. The biggest example of this that you will see is with the pawns. Those would be the small knights, the small goblins, and they have one attack, which is a cl close melee attack, a sword or a club, uh, but they also have a defensive move with their shield. Now in these types of games, there are lots and lots of battles between pawns and goblins. Those are the pieces you push out first into the board and they end up fighting each other. 
these fights now take a super long time. They used to go super fast in the original Archon because you would have a, a knight and a goblin approach each other and you're both going to just start swinging and whoever had most the most hit points usually won. You might try to trick them by jumping out, but they have the same attack range and it's very close. So those fights used to end very quickly. Now they take a long time because when you run, if you're not attacking, you're blocking with your sword. And so you end up in a situation where each player is blocking the other player's attacks. And it's really difficult for some of those characters to be able to get a shot in. So let's talk about this modem play that is advertised all over the box, all in the manual. This was a huge selling point of Archon Ultra. This was an era where LAN and network gaming was becoming popular. Uh, there were games like Doom 2 was the first one. I remember uh, people bringing their computers. People would want to bring their computer to your house and you would hook up a either a null modem cable or a Laplink style cable. Or if you had a network at that point in time, you could connect network cards. But the whole idea was you got two machines in the same room and you could play person versus person games. You could play land games. Uh, lots of businesses that had networks, people would play, you know, networked games on, on, uh, on their local networks. And, uh, th this was a, a really, it's a fun and memorable time, but it's hard to believe that people were lugging their towers. This is usually not laptops. This is people lugging their giant PC towers and their keyboard and their mouse and their 20 pound CRT monitors and setting all these things up. Uh, of course the result of all that was raising the temperature of the room to 80, 90 degrees or whatever, uh, depending on how many people you had for these land parties. So I definitely remember, uh, games like, you know, like I said, doom two, I remember a lot of people getting together to, to play descent. That was a big one, but this had the ability to play somebody over the modem and it was built right into the game. So you had to have two copies of the game, of course, but one person would load up Archon Ultra and select host mode. And then the other person on the other end would select the modem play and you would put in a phone number and it would dial the other person. Now I have to tell you right off the bat, it didn't always work well. There was definitely some lag depending on what speed your modem was and what speed you connected. Again, this is 1994. So, uh, 14, four modems were pretty popular. Uh, I don't remember if we had 28, eight modems, I guess we had 28, eight modems, but I, I know we didn't have 56 K. So <laughs> it, it's really, Dependent on the speed and the, the connection. I remember trying this multiple times and getting disconnected during the middle play. And I also remember playing and during the action sequences, having the game freeze up a lot as you were trying to play. So it was an option. It was there. But I think the idea may have been a little bit ahead of its time. So, as I previously mentioned, the goal of Archon and Archon Ultra is to control all five power points or wipe out all of your opponent's pieces. We talked about how the board has 
white pieces and dark pieces or um, squares on the board, white squares, dark squares. But there are also these squares that appear gray. Some are light gray, some are dark gray. And what you'll see is those pieces shift. They shift from light to dark and from dark to light. So there's a cycle uh, that they follow. Now, the reason that is important is because the light pieces have more power when they are standing on light squares. The darker pieces get more power when they are standing on dark squares. So the strategy of this game becomes moving your pieces to the squares that are the same color as your pieces and using that to your advantage. Now, this has always been a part of Archon, but it's very noticeable. The the effect is much more pronounced in Archon Ultra. If you move two similar pieces on top of one another to battle on a purely dark square, when the battle begins, you will see how many more hit points the, uh, the, the piece that's at an advantage has over the other one. So you really get a lot more power from being on the pieces that are the same color as you, you, uh, you have a faster, uh, refire time. You, uh, you go in with more hit points. It's just a huge advantage. And in the original Archon, it, it was there, but it wasn't as big of a part of the gameplay. It was more pronounced in Archon 2, but here it is a big part of the game. So uh, the board, again, is shifting uh, constantly. So you can't just... Now, if you want to move your pieces, if you want to move light pieces to pieces or squares that are white, that are permanently white, it's okay, but you're not going to be able to advance all the way across the board. Uh, so there's just a lot of strategy that goes into moving on to the pieces that are most advantageous to your side. Now in chess, each piece's power is basically directly connected to their movement ability. So in other words, a pawn is not as powerful because it can only move in a straight line. And other than the opening move, it can only move one square at a time and compare that to say a bishop, which can move diagonally as many squares as you want, or a queen that can move as many squares as it wants in any of the eight directions. So in Archon, there are two things. One is Again, each piece has individual style of movement and range of movement, but also you have their attacks to consider. Uh, there are multiple types of attacks. You have ground attacks. You have uh, flying attacks. And some characters can actually teleport. Now, the one thing that makes Archon much easier to play than normal chess is that you don't have to memorize how each piece can move. Uh, when you click on a piece, it will tell you if it is a uh, ground or if it can teleport or if it can fly. So fly means obviously kind of like a knight in chess that you can move over other pieces, uh, that uh, pieces can't impede your path. So when you click on a Valkyrie and it says you can fly four squares, you move the joystick and tell it where you want to put the piece and it will move the piece there. So it's much easier and quicker to learn, I believe, than chess is. Uh, it also shows you the number of spaces that each piece can move. Um, 
Now, because of all this complexity, because of the shifting colors of the squares on the board, oftentimes a lower-ranked piece can beat a higher-ranked piece. One of the variables is the actual player's skill. So, for example, if you are an expert player and you know how to control a knight and the best way to block an attack, you can probably beat someone else who's not as good at playing this game. Just just right out because of your skill in controlling the characters. Also, there is that handicap feature that I mentioned where you can help or hinder, and those affect how quickly you can reload and, and uh, the the ways that you can shoot and things like that. So if you are playing someone who's never played it before, you can hinder yourself. When I played the other night when I streamed this game, I put myself on help. I put the computer on hinder, and it was almost a draw. <laughs> Um, another thing to take into consideration is melee weapons versus fire or missile weapons. Now, obviously the more powerful pieces have better attacks, but a dragon, for example, can sit all the way on the other side of the playing field and shoot giant fireballs at a night long before you can ever reach the dragon. So, uh, that it definitely, depending on how the pieces are matched up in your battles, uh, that could control things. So you can have a dragon that's greatly wounded, but still fly around the board and wipe out an awful lot of pieces in a hurry. Uh, and then finally, one of the things that can affect these games are the PowerPoint squares. Again, there are five different PowerPoints on the board, but if you battle on one of those five spots, the PowerPoint appears in the middle of the play area. And by standing on the PowerPoint, you can regenerate your player. Now, when you play the CPU, you will see the strategy and the CPU will stand on or near that at all times. It's like a boxer controlling the center of the ring. That piece will control the PowerPoint area and will constantly be regenerating. So no matter how good or accurate your shots are or how fast you move, if their character is never taking permanent damage, you will not win that fight. And so that is a different strategy that has to be employed when you are fighting on those PowerPoint squares. Now, there are all different kinds of pieces in Archon. There are, like I said, the equivalent of pawns. There are banshees. There are uh, just all these different kinds of uh, of fantastic beasts and monsters that all have different types of attacks. Uh, but the equivalent of a king or a queen in Archon is the wizard and the sorceress. Now, it's not exactly like chess because you can lose these pieces and continue to play the game. So the game does not hinge on controlling those pieces. But these are very, very – it is like the king and the queen – combined, I suppose, in a way uh, from chess. They are your most valuable pieces. And if you lose these pieces early, it's very difficult to win Archon. Uh, wizards and the Sorceress have the ability to cast spells. And there are multiple spells in this game. Now, they can only cast them, I believe, one time. So you have to choose wisely. You can reverse time, which is important. So if you are occupying, let's say you're the light side and you have moved out and you are on all these light squares and the board begins to shift to dark. Uh, once it gets about halfway, you can cast reverse time and it will flip 
the order in which those are, are fading. And so instead of fading back towards black, it will fade back towards light again. So it is a way to control and have the most power on the board. Uh, you can resurrect one piece. So if you've lost that phoenix or that dragon, the one piece that you're using to wipe out the board, you can resurrect it and bring that piece back. You can teleport one piece. You can also swap two pieces. So if you have uh, a dragon that is flowing onto your side and is wiping out your pieces, you can swap it and you can teleport it to the other side and swap it with a, a lesser piece, which uh, uh, would definitely be to your advantage in that situation. You can also imprison a piece. So when a piece is imprisoned, it can't move and it also can't cast spells, which is very important. Um, finally, if a piece is standing on one of those five power points, they are immune to spells. So if you move your wizard out, they, the other side, the sorceress can cast an imprisoned spell on your wizard. And now you can't cast spells or move that piece. You could still be attacked, but you can't maneuver on the board or use it for anything else. So, uh, it's, it's very important to keep your most important pieces on those PowerPoints where they are impervious to spells. Uh, one other spell, uh, that was in the original game and still exists here is to summon an elemental. And that's always fun because you never know what you're going to get. You could get a fire elemental. You could get a, an air elemental, which is basically a tornado. Uh, and, uh, you summon these pieces and you drop them on one of your opponent's pieces. And then you get to do battle as this thing that you have summoned from another world. So that's, uh, that could definitely throw a wrench in anyone's archon plans. Now, in the one-player versions of these games, you will play against the CPU, and the CPU is pretty predictable. Now, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily easy to beat, but it is predictable. And what the CPU will do is move all of its best pieces to the squares that are the same color as its side closest to the PowerPoint. So if they are the dark side, they will move their most powerful pieces to the dark squares that are closest to those PowerPoints. And then when it is advantageous to them, they will move onto those PowerPoints and basically try to take over the game. If you're not paying attention right off the bat, the game will possess or the CPU will, will possess four of the five PowerPoints, except for the one that your wizard uh, or sorceress is on. And you will be at a great disadvantage for the rest of the game. Um, in the battle mode, they are also predictable they are relentless in chasing you. <laughs> so it's difficult to trick the CPU by running one way and running the other. Something that might work against a human opponent is probably not going to work against the CPU. Uh, but sometimes you will find problems in the CPU's logic. Sometimes you could get them caught on the terrain or you can run around an obstacle one way and the CPU will try to come get you by running around the long way around the other obstacle and give you the opportunity to, to uh, snipe at them from behind something. So uh, it's not indefeatable, but uh, in a, in a one-on-one -on -one fight that's out in the open, it's pretty tough to beat the CPU. That's, that's my experience. Uh, Archon Ultra was a DOS exclusive. It was not released for any other system. But it was not the last Archon game to be released. In 2010, Archon Classic was released. Now, Archon Classic 
makes it sound like it's the original Archon, but it, this is a totally new version. Uh, again, this is a Windows release, and Archon Classic takes the original style game but adds different modes. It adds a uh, a story mode, like a campaign mode. It One of the things I think Archon Ultra, this game, did was try to blend the artwork styles of what's happening on the board with what's happening in battle. Uh, I think Archon Classic, the 2010 game that was released uh, about 15 years after, tries to separate those two. The The board on that one is presented as almost like wooden tiles, but then the battles look very realistic. So it's more of like you're playing a game and then the battles are imaginary where the way this is presented is the actual pieces on the board are you're zooming in and those actual pieces are having an actual battle. So it's a little bit of a, a different, uh, concept, I suppose. Although at the end of the day, all Archon games are essentially the same, which is you move pieces around on the board. And when pieces land on the same square, you fight and whoever loses all their pieces loses or whoever owns all the PowerPoints wins. <laughs> Every Archon game is identical in uh, that respect. If you are looking for an original copy of Archon Ultra, good luck. The last copy I found that sold on eBay sold for $80. That was a complete copy with another, I think, $12 shipping on top of that. I don't even feel like I should mention this, but I saw several auctions from a seller uh, selling copies of this game on eBay for $20. And if you read the details, you will get the CD, but no box, no manual. I believe he says he emails you the manual. And then he also includes some software where you can install the game and run it virtually or something. I don't know if he's including DOS box. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's doing, but he's selling this for $20. So I mean, to me, this is like selling a vinyl album and then including a USB stick with the MP3s. So you're kind of like skirting the rules of skirting the law. Um, but I mean, you do get the CD, so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say you're not buying something, but I don't like it. <laughs> That's how you could sum that up. I don't like it. Uh, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like you're getting, you know, the full package, the thing that, you know, this whole game is built on nostalgia. It's all about, you know, trying to sell you memories and you're not getting those memories. If you buy this thing that you download and speaking of memories, let's get into my personal memories of Archon Ultra. So my buddy Jeff and I grew up both owning Commodore 64s and uh, I would download, I downloaded a lot more games than, than Jeff downloaded, but he downloaded some games. And so when we got together, there was always this period where we would show each other the new games we had downloaded and then try them. And if they were good, give a copy to the other guy, something like that. Uh, so 
that was definitely a part of the Commodore 64 experience for me was uh, not just downloading the games and trading the games, but getting together with a friend and actually trying those games and playing the games. And so there was a period of time when the Commodore 64 you know, wasn't as popular. It went downhill and new games weren't being released. And so that part of my life kind of went away until Jeff and I and other friends of mine got IBM PCs. And then it kind of started all over again. And so I remember Jeff actually bought Archon Ultra and I went over to his house and that's where I saw this game for the first time. And this was pretty exciting at that time because this is 1994. So emulation is not really a big deal uh, for me at that time. Uh, there wasn't this ability to, there was no, I wasn't on the internet at the time when he bought this there. I didn't get on the internet until very late 94. Uh, and that was all DOS based or, uh, uh, you know, um, not GUI based. Uh, I didn't get on the World Wide Web until probably well till um, the spring of uh, 1995. So, so there was no in the early days the internet there was no search engine, <laughs> so there was not the ability to go online and say give me every Commodore 64 ROM or disk image and then just download them all in one package, which is what we could do today. So. The point of that is, is that Archon Ultra worked, the marketing worked. It was marketing itself to people who played the original Ultra, but could not play Ultra any longer. Jeff did not have his Commodore 64 at that point. He couldn't just turn on his old computer and go back and play Archon. Uh, but that's what this was offering. It said, this is the Archon that you know and love, but it has been updated. It has super VGA graphics. It has sound blaster sound and it has modem play. So that's what I mostly remember about this game is just that that fun feeling of a friend buying a game and showing it to you uh, and not not referring you to a game, which is what happens today. I have people who will tell me, hey, I got this game on Steam and it's great. You should try it out. And then I try it out, but I'm experiencing it by myself where this was a time where I went to someone's house and they showed me the game and they showed me how much fun it was. And then I would decide whether or not I wanted it. Now, Jeff and I did try and did play this game over the modem. And that's when I was talking about experiencing the lockups during battle. This was all Jeff and I play and Jeff is the only person that I played this game with over the modem. I would be interested in trying the network version and see if the original games engine could keep up with modern internet speeds. I think the problem with the original was the modem speeds were too slow to push the amount of data the game needs to continually present it in real time battles. And I wonder if the internet is, I know the internet is fast enough to do that, but what I wonder is if the game's engine is fast enough to keep up uh, if it has a way to buffer or or hold on to that information. So that, that would be interesting uh, to find out. There are a lot of upgrades in this game. And I remember thinking at the time, like the graphics were better and the music was better and the sound was better. Uh, and so it seemed like this was a better game at that time. But I don't remember it being a favorite of mine. And so that aspect of it must have worn off, uh, you know, pretty quickly for me. 
it's hard to explain how a game so similar to the original can be so different. Uh, if I were to try to describe the original Archon on paper and compare it to this game, they would be almost identical. The descriptions of these two games are almost identical. Uh, but if you were to see these two games side by side, they would be completely separate games. Uh, again, the selling point of this game was nostalgia at a time where you couldn't easily go back and play old games. So again, the updated graphics don't hurt the game uh, and the music doesn't hurt the game. I don't know that they make it a better game and they also, it almost makes it a different game. Uh, and definitely the way that the multiple attacks uh, were presented changes the game. Now I'll be honest with you. If you were somebody who played Archon and immediately jumped to Archon Ultra, you might say, oh gosh, this piece used to attack this way and now it does something else. But if you're the average person, not a dedicated gamer or fan of Archon, and you hadn't played Archon in 10 years and picked this up, I think you would say it's it's pretty similar to Archon. You probably wouldn't notice the minor tweaks that they made. And most of the tweaks... Um, do make it a better game. You know, again, the, the graphics, I don't know, the sound, I don't know if, if those things really improve the game, but, uh, the little tweaks that they made in the gameplay and, and, uh, uh, the way that the board shifts and in the AI, those, those do make it, uh, better. I think that the way that they present the pieces in this game make it, makes it uh, easier to understand the relationship between the light and dark squares on the board, and it really adds to the strategy aspect of this version. Uh, the Being on the lighter or darker color squares is much more important than it was in the original versions of the game. Their power and the strength of the of the each piece is more tightly connected to the colors of the squares. And so I think that uh, is definitely an improvement. Uh, so they tried to, I think in, in the original version, whoever was the better fighter always won. And in this one, if you are good at the strategy portion of the game, you at least have a fighting chance. Although in the end, the most skillful guy will probably still win. Thanks for checking out Like a DOS. What did you think of this episode's game? What was your favorite DOS game? Send your thoughts to me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can add your thoughts on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. All supporters of my podcasts get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks, all by signing up to Patreon.com. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Like a DOS is available from iTunes, the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, where you can also find all of my podcasts, including Sprite Castle, You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, Multiple Sadness, and many others.
Last but not least, I'd like to give a special shout out to all my supporters on Patreon. It is no exaggeration to say that without the support of these patrons, there would be no podcasts. Special thanks for the month of April to Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, C Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Strandisi, Extent of the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Boat of Car Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, new supporter, Petzl KZ9Zap, welcome to the party, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Robot Doctor 82, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossi, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters. These guys have gone above and beyond and have helped this podcast in ways that you probably can't even fathom in your 8-bit minds. <laughs> my 16-bit supporters are Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, new supporter Jason Worley, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Another new supporter, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Scott Van Drasic, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. Thanks for all your support. Thank you.